Um, so one way that the Bible can be shown is, is that it's uh, authentic and accurate is that this God in the Bible exposes the reality and contradictions of many, many people, especially leaders. Um, instead of historical or current-day superheroes where two-dimensional, all-powerful, all-winning, always successful, maybe a little drama, but they win in the end. Um, in the Bible, we see real men and women with everything out in the open. But we also see how powerfully God works in the lives of these men and women by the stories that we read. And since we've been studying the book of First Peter uh, before this latest vision series that Pastor Brian has been going through, we're going to remain in the book, but we're going to look at it from a different viewpoint by studying the author, Peter himself, which you can tell by the title, A Man Called Peter, A Life of Discipleship. In Jesus' words where he said, come and follow me. Now, with Peter, I mean, he's one of the most prominently featured men in the New Testament besides Paul the Apostle. And it's really, there's a lot of reasons for that, and there's a lot of verses we could be looking at. So just for time's sake that I'm going to be attentive for, I always put in my messages what we call discarded ideas and thoughts. So we'll, we'll make the time so that our kids in the children's ministry are not um, going more crazy at the end than they are now. Um, but Peter was roughly the same age as Jesus when they met. He was married, and he was a fisherman and business, businessman by trade, working with other men who would become disciples of Jesus later, as well as probably employing others in this business, because fishing was a major industry, and it, it fed the nation Israel. So um, this was very, uh, very important business trade. Um, but being a provincial, not a, you know, a city-fied kind of businessman, he was a provincial, God-fearing Jew, and while not necessarily having a scholarly training, had a living hope of the God of Israel sending a Messiah to free Israel and its people so that a type of the old Davidic kingdom under David and Solomon, the glory of Israel, could be brought back with prominence for Israel again and Rome would be thrown out. That was the current thought and hope of that day. So it's important that we contextualize Peter in that and understand him as a man, a family man, a businessman, but also a God-fearing man. One of the points that Pastor Brian talked about uh, um, last week was that as disciples, one of the evidences that is true discipleship comes in the form of a changed life. Now, the life of Christ who dwells in us through the Holy Spirit produces a transformation, a transfiguration. Um, you could look at it as being a chrysalis, like we see a butterfly starts out as a worm or starts out as a, yeah, as a worm, right? If I'm remembering my caterpillar. Thank you. That's right. The moths are a worm. Butterflies are the caterpillar. Thank you. See, I, it's been a while since I've been in school, so thank you for that word of encouragement. But the idea is that we don't see their finished form until they go through a chrysalis, and they break out, and they became these beautiful butterflies and moths. 
So in that same sense, in, in nature that we see that, we see that with the power of God within us transforming, transfiguring our hearts and minds, then that can be seen by others as a witness to his love and his power. So that is an essential part of true discipleship. So I want to look at the first slide here. Thank you. You guys are good at anticipating that. That's wonderful. Um, The first slide, which uh, illustrates some aspects of Peter's changed life as he encountered his God and the Messiah and how he learned to follow him. So you can see up there, we see Peter and his, in quotes, fish. His work, his calling. God's purpose is in our labor. So this is how it relates to us as disciples in the modern day, our work and our calling. Then we see Peter and his people, which translates for us, community, neighbor, God's purpose with those around us. Next slide, please. Peter and his Lord. Who... You remember throughout the time when Jesus was with his disciples and other people, the constant refrain is, who is this? Who is this man? Because it was stupefying to them. Absolutely stupefying. And and in some ways, we are constantly growing and knowing this God in new revelatory ways that changes us because we're changed by this revelation of knowing him in a deeper way. And then finally, Peter and his cross, which translates for us, dying to self, yielding and following, which is a part of that death process through the cross. So we'll be looking at some of these as we go through some scriptures and how that relates to us by seeing God working in Peter's life. So the next few slides are going to illustrate a brief timeline of Peter encountering Jesus and what impact that had on Peter in this relationship with his Messiah. So we see in the timeline of scriptures that Simon meets Jesus through the help of his brother, Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist at that time. And while Peter and Andrew are fishing at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees them and asks them to follow him. Now, In most of these recordings, we don't see how Jesus reacts to some of the things that Jesus says and does. I think there's a reason for that. So, after a particular time of kind of with Jesus at home doing his business, doing different things, we see Jesus, after a time of being on the shore and and, and preaching to the crowds, that Jesus visits Peter's house and cures Peter's sick mother-in-law. Now, there's no reaction in the scripture. Luke doesn't tell us uh, what's going on here. We don't know how that impacted Peter. Maybe he had a great relationship with his mother-in-law. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. In-laws are tough. Um, I, I, I say often to some people, what's the difference between an in-law and an outlaw? Outlaws are wanted. Okay. All right. Come on. This might be considered past or fail today, so understand that. But in that time, in-laws, outlaws, they all stayed in, in the houses. They lived together, and this was just part of life. And Jesus comes in, and, and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and he cures her, and she goes out and prepares dinner. So pretty amazing, but we don't hear much about that at the time, what Peter's reaction was that. 
Let's go to the next slide. That night, the very same night that Jesus heals his mother-in-law, there's a large crowd that gathers around because of Jesus' fame. And all who were sick, the scripture says in Luke 5, all who were sick were healed and many demons were cast out of people. Again, we don't read Peter's reaction to this. He's observing this along with other disciples. I'm sure it was stupefying, but it was hard for Peter maybe to say what he was thinking at that time. So, a few days later, Peter uh, hears Jesus teaching a crowd so large that Jesus had to use one of Peter's boats, uh, one of Peter's boats out in the water off the shore to accommodate all these people. And from the boat, Jesus sits down and teaches the people. Now, if you've got a Bible or you're you know in the scriptures, go to Luke five, because this is where we're going to pick up the story a little bit and see how Jesus impacts. Peter at the deepest level of his understanding in his workplace. I think this is a powerful, powerful scripture. The slide's up here, but you know, if you've got your Bibles, Luke 5, um, by, uh, 4 through 11. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now remember, his business was catching fish. If he didn't catch fish, he's out of work and having to find some other kind of job. So this is something Peter is intimately familiar with, knows the times, the seasons, the depth, where the fish are, where they're not. And even with all of that, he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So he's basically saying, you know, you're a powerful man. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. But this is my world. This is my work world, and I know what I'm doing. And I, again, I'm, I'm interpolating some things in here. But he says, at your word, you know what? I'll let down the nets. Maybe he's humoring Jesus. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. I'm going to read from this angle. I can see better. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, again, I don't know how many of you fish, but that's an amazing catch. You could brag about that for years. I mean, both boats are sinking. These are experienced men who know what they're doing, and they're blown away by this. But let's look at the next slide. But, and that's an important but here. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Jesus met Peter at the deepest point of his experience to call him to himself. That's what blows me away. Now, Peter had been following him, seeing all of these things. But when Jesus, when Peter saw this powerful work in, in something he knew so well, the difference between him and Jesus became far apart because Peter couldn't even begin to do what just happened. 
And he knew he was in the power, he was in the presence of someone holy and so different from him that he falls down at his knees and says, oh, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. But look at what Jesus says to Simon. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men and women. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This really affected Peter because he was going to leave his friends, his wife. Maybe he had children, very possibly. And then he would leave for extended periods of time. He was literally putting off his business that supplied his family and everything and went to follow Jesus. Now, that's radical. But he met Jesus like he had never met another person before. And this was a revelation of God that he had never had before as a God-fearing Jew. Now, as we go on, we see these episodes that happen in the account of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to move on a little bit. But in this time, they are having encounters with people. They are changing. In fact, Jesus is, um, Peter's people group changes pretty radically here, too. Think about it. His buddies, his guys, are his fishermen guys, right? That's his workplace, his family. Those are his people. But now, he's a part of 11 other guys. Some of them are fishermen, but others are not his people. One's a tax collector, remember, who were despised by the population because they were like quislings. They were traitors to the nation Israel. They were taking money for the Roman government, which was despised and hated. So he's got to be friends and learn how to make, well, here's a tax collector, Matthew, following. And then you're talking about a terrorist. Who's that? Yeah. Yeah, a zealot, which was a terrorist, a modern-day terrorist, all for the nation Israel to throw off the Roman government. So all of a sudden, now he's in the, he's in the company of a radical person. Now, we don't know what the other disciples, what their businesses were like, but there was, this was a brand-new, mind-blowing people group that Jesus was uh, bringing Peter into. So, as we move on in Peter's growth as a disciple, we go to the next slide, which is Matthew 16, and many of you are familiar with this. But Jesus was asking them, who do, say, who do men say that I am? Who are people talking? As they talk about me, what are they saying? Who am I? And one disciple says, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. And others are saying, well, you're the prophet that's going to come. And so Simon Peter replies in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the King is what that means, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for... Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth shall be released in heaven. This is brand new to Peter. He's getting, Jesus is telling me, you just got this download from God. Really? Whoa. What's Peter's reaction? Now, remember the history here. 
Up to this point, there was constantly this argument, who was the greatest among the twelve? I know this doesn't happen here in church. I know this doesn't happen in your relationships. I know there's no egos here that struggle against that, so maybe this won't relate to you. But the very fact is, is that they were constantly saying, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, mom likes you better. I don't know. It's all the statements going on. So how do you think Peter reacts to this? Booyah! Three-pointer at the buzzer to win the game. Touchdown in the last second. Dudes, if there was any question who's the greatest, come on and talk to me about it because Jesus picked me out and I got it. Now, again, I'm interpolating modern day. But you've got to feel good. When God does something through you, God speaks to you, God brings something, there is an exhilaration about this, and Peter was experiencing his God in a new way. And his relationship with Jesus now, in his mind, was changed. Because from exaltation and pride and ego comes correction. Let's look at the next slide. A few days later, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So what's Peter do? Takes the Lord aside and begins to rebuke him, right? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Because remember, him and Jesus are like this now, right? Just a few days ago. But what happens? He turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And then Jesus tells all his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How do you think Peter is feeling at this moment? Pond scum. Man, I'm the lowest. I've I've got nothing. I thought I was Jesus' confidant. I thought he would listen to my counsel. Certainly he gave me all this praise beforehand, and now, wow. But it's very important, again, his relationship with his Messiah, with his God, is that setting your mind on the things of God, uh, setting your things mind on the things of man, even if it seems like a good idea, is not part of God's plan. And in fact, this is part of taking up his cross and following him that Peter is now introduced to something new. The idea of subjecting his thoughts and what he wants to do under this Messiah, the Lord. No, that's not the Lord calling. Well, maybe it is. Because remember, the cross that Jesus mentioned here in in that society's context, meant dying, suffering loss, having to yield your life into someone else's authority. And you didn't have control of your life. You were dead. 
And so this was, again, mind-blowing information that Peter was having here. But again, remember on the plus side, he'd got this revelation from God that he had never experienced before, and this catapulted him into a different understanding about his relationship with God. So let's move forward a little bit more. See what time it is. Okay. What happened in Peter's life as he faced his greatest failure, and how did Jesus restore him? Because I think this is really important. This is moving on to the Last Supper now. And they're all having dinner together. They're having the Passover dinner. And Jesus is causing his disciples great pain by telling him he's going to be crucified and that all of them will forsake him. Now, in one of the other Gospels, Peter boasts after Jesus says this, and he boasts and says, if all others desert you, I'll never leave you. But let's look at the slide. In Luke 21, Jesus' answer says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And that means crushed, absolutely shredded is how wheat was sifted. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Good heart. You know, a good-hearted man, okay? Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. So let's look at the next slide. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a great distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. And the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking and Jesus is being led out, a rooster crows. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times And he went out and wept bitterly. This was easily, if Peter was here, I've got to think he would say, this was absolutely my biggest personal failure to my Lord. As we're going to see in this restoration, we need to take lessons. I think it's really important for us as, as, as the people who follow Jesus that failure is always a part of our lives to some degree in some manner. Throughout the rest of your lives, it will be a part of that. Now, that may not sound like a positive message, but we need to be able to live life whether it's good or bad. We need to be able to accept our successes, what's what's good, what's what works right, and when we fail. And know, what does the Lord think about us in both those situations? 
Because we're looking at Peter's life, and that's exactly how the Lord feels about us. So, in the context of this next slide where Jesus restores Peter publicly, Jesus had appeared already to Peter first. It says that in, in the Gospels, and it says in 1 Corinthians, that he had appeared to Peter first before appearing to the other disciples two times. Now, we don't know what Peter and Jesus talked about, what Peter had to say to him, but there was some form of personal restoration for Peter there. But in the context of the timeline, Peter and others decided to go fishing, probably because after Jesus was crucified, the necessities of his family and other people had to be taken care of because it wasn't being supplied now by the charity of others that had happened all through the time Jesus was alive. And it's very probable that the scandal of the cross had shut up the source of support, the disciples not knowing how they were going to be employed, probably purposed to try to go back fishing and earn a livelihood. And there are seven of them, which were probably all part of Peter's band of fishermen. So, in John 20, 21, 22, they went fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Now, again, they hadn't caught anything early in the morning, and they hear someone on the shore that they can't see, maybe the morning mist they can't see, and a man on the shore says, have you caught anything? No, we haven't. Well, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Does this story sound familiar? <laughs> Bam! A huge catch. Andrew on the boat. Andrew is one of, you know, one of his compatriots. He screams, it's the Lord! Peter strips, dives in the water, and swims just to get to his Lord. And the rest of the disciples haul in 153 big fish. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that the added numerical value of the Greek words Peter and the word fish is exactly 153. That's a freebie. That's on the side. I don't think there's any accidents to that. I think it's pretty mean. So Jesus has already fixed breakfast, and there's fish and bread there, and so starts where we're at in John. And when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And honestly, to be honest with you, I think without much argument, he's talking about the other disciples. And Jesus is using a word in the Greek, agapao, which is a self-sacrificing, holy, giving aside your own personal interest kind of love which is God's love. And Peter responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I am affectionate towards you. I really feel a loyalty to you. I love you in a friendship, a brotherly way. I really love you. A different word. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, again, using that Greek word, do you really love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I'm really affectionate and really close to you. I'm loyal to you. I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, and he uses that same affectionate word now instead of the first two times. Do you, are you really affectionate for me? Do you feel loyalty to me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Now, why would he be? Remember, 
in the face of all the other disciples, he said, Lord, if all these others leave you, I'll stay with you. And Jesus said, three times you're going to deny me, right? So in the presence of the other disciples, because there are no favoritisms with Jesus and with God, he's giving Peter the understanding that I want you to affirm that love for me in front of all these other men so that you see this public restoration is just as important as our private restoration. Lord, you know everything, he says. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, for time's sake, I've got to end this pretty quickly. So, Peter goes on after the the resurrection, probably the most, again, very powerful leader in the church and does many powerful works and miracles among other people. And I want you to, you know, we're going to skip Galatians, but I want you to look at the reference here. So let's go to the next slide, if we can there. I want you to read this story in Galatians where Peter is corrected by Paul because it's an important concept that we figure after everything's done, the resurrection, there's empowerment, there's works of miracles, that somehow this leader has now reached that pinnacle of perfection. This story And also in Acts 10, I want you to read that, will give you a context of racial prejudice. And if I'd had more time, I would have gotten into this more. But Peter was a man who still was racially prejudiced. Now, that is because that's how they were raised. That's all they knew, that Gentiles were dogs and the Jews were their chosen people. And Acts 10 in this this, uh, passage in Galatians will help you understand how that processed, and why the gospel of truth breaks through that and why it changes us as men and women. So I'm sorry we, we can't go to that because of time, but I think it's really important that you read that. Finally, the cross. In John 21, Peter is told by Jesus that in the past you went where you wanted to, you did what you wanted to, But later on, men are going to come and take you where you don't want to go. And you're going to be killed. Again, the scripture in John 21. Now, this was his cross literally and figuratively. Not only following Jesus, being changed and having to yield his life, but also the very fact that he was going to be crucified like his Lord. They were going to spread out his arms, as Jesus says there. And in, in history, at least by the early church fathers, is that when he was going to be crucified, said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. Do it upside down. And so they crucified him upside down. Look at Peter's life. He was always facing changes, but he persevered. Through highs and lows, victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, failure and restoration. There's a lot of things we can take away from this, and I hope it's spoken to you this morning. But one thing is that we have to face, we have to really face who we really are in the light of the knowledge of who he really is. That is an essential of discipleship. It's an essential Peter learned, and it's an essential we need to, to face who we really are in the light of the knowledge of who he really is. Being able to love God's radiating, exposing light rather than hiding and running away into darkness. 
So let's look at one final slide to consider. What should we consider this week? I want you to think about these questions because I'm thinking about them. Our work and our calling, how does God want to show himself in our life's work? How does he want to show himself in your life's work? Is there change coming? Can you face that change? Our community, our neighbor, how does he want to work in me about those connections? Are all the people that are your besties that you really spend all your time hanging with, are they like you? Are they like Peter's friends who were fishermen? Or does God want to move you into other relationships that are challenging? I say yes, yes he does. Look around you. We're all so radically different. And yet we're unified in the name of Jesus as his body. Our Lord, should we consider this? Is my knowledge about him growing and my love deepening? Is he changing me? And finally, our cross. Uh, Do I see a pattern of dying to self-will and yielding to follow him? So I ask you to think about that. I ask you to challenge. I ask you to do some time uh, before the Lord. So let's have uh, Nick and Jill come on up, and we'll go ahead and have some time of communion right now. Definitely went over a little bit, tried to keep that down. And as we have this time of communion, and in the face of that slide, and some of the things maybe the Lord spoke to you through as we looked at Peter's life, I think it's really important as we take communion, which is an evidence of his sacrifice by his body and blood, his cross, that we have life and that we're remembering his death until he comes back again, which he said he will. I think it's important if we only pick and choose what we want to hear God speaking to us and only accept what is comfortable for God to work in us, then we're really only following our own image of God rather than following Jesus, the true 